as a fun kind of bonus here and I'll, right. I'll put you on the spot, but we'll see what happens. So uh-huh. I have this, this, uh, this, um, you know, desert Island scenario that I want to like throw at you. So today let's just get, let's go with microphones. This is easy. This is like a, this is like a softball, you know, underhanded pitch. Give me, give me your top five desert Island microphones. Uh, well, I don't need five. I only need one. Okay. What's 57. Really? <laughs> Final answer? <laughs> yeah, man. You you know, you can do everything with that one microphone. There's no need for all this. Y'all are just making shit complicated. I'm gonna go on record here. I don't I don't love the <laughs> SM57. I am in that camp. I'm in the I'm in the don't love it camp. Now what are you speaking through? An SM7B, which I which know is, is a modified 57. It, it's similar. It's similar. But I'll have to say that I don't actually love this microphone. I would, there's other microphones that I have that I kind of would rather be speaking through, but I use this one as a podcast mic because it's kind of just simple. Um, All right. So, so real, real answer. Um, okay. Actually, I bought a pair of uh, 414 XLSs. And they've mm-hmm. turned out to be the damn Swiss Army mic. Yeah. You know, in a pinch, you can record vocals. It's not my favorite vocal mic, but it does fine. Yeah. You know, acoustic guitars for sure all day. It's got multiple mic patterns. Um, you know, if you have two of them, then you can do the Blumen pattern. You can do spaced pair. You can do a bunch of different, you know, techniques. You know, do they sound as good as the Neumanns? Not, not quite. You know, okay, so I, that's that's going to be the restriction, though, with five mics on a desert island. I mean, this okay. is a ridiculous scenario, by the way, because if you just have five mics on a desert so island. if I have a pair, does that count as two? It counts as two. Oh. Yeah. So you have to, that'll <laughs> take two slots. But I'll say this, in this fantasy, there there's nothing else on the island, so these microphones aren't going to do you any good. They're just, they're kind of like, they're kind of spank bank <laughs> items. <laughs> So, so is one of the criteria, can I beat up monkeys with it, the mic? Then I'm back to the 57. You cannot harm an animal if I'm on the island. Oh. I will not allow that. Well, not like harm, but just, you know, get away from Do, my you bananas. can defend. I'll say you can defend yourself with the microphones, but you can't right. beat up a monkey. Come on now. Okay, so is this like naked and afraid, but with microphones? <laughs> oh, God. It's gotten, it's too real. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so... Uh, uh, Man, I really like the um, the uh, M160 the ribbon okay. mic. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I know you're gonna say the uh, the new Chandler mic you got. I'm. I don't think I'm gonna put that in the list. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I like the the U87 that I have is nice. Uh huh. So I think that's definitely a, a go to. Um. You know, um, so this is an aside, but you um, you made me do an impulse purchase last week, which was you you posted you posted about the uh, Rode microphone. Yeah, the N- so N T K. 
Yeah. And I, I had to go out and buy one. So I found one for pretty cheap and I'm going to, so even with just the electroharmonix tube that I, I sent you, uh-huh. it sounds amazing. Sounds, it sounds good. Doesn't really it? damn good. So I can't wait till that tube comes back in stock and I swap that out. Yeah. Telefunken. Just to clarify too. So I did a little video uh, that I posted yeah. on Instagram and it's, it's a road microphone. It's like, kind of like one of their original microphones that they ever made. And it's called the road NTK. And it is, um, it's a tube microphone. And then I basically looked into upgrading the tube and I got a Telefunken black diamond tube for it. And um, it, this mic really just sounds incredible. And so apparently Rolls bought one as well on my recommendation. And I, and I think it's a great purchase. Yeah, that's a cool. You know, and it comes with the tube power supply that Deke mentioned. Yeah, so it's a it's a tube mic, so it requires a power supply. Um, yeah, but so okay, so are you putting that in your list or no? You yeah, don't have I, enough experience with it to to know. Really. I don't. That's why I can't. I can't say. I can't say. Um, so right now you've got a U eighty seven two four fourteens <laughs> and an M one an M one sixty, and then you've got you've got one microphone left. Uh. You probably got to really, go with something dynamic, right? I, I really like the Mojave FET 47. Oh, interesting. I don't know if I have any experience with that, Mike. Yeah, you do. Do I? Is that a 47? I thought that was like a 201 or something. Mm-mm. I know it's a FET microphone, large diaphragm FET. Maybe it's not the 47. No, it's your. it's the 301. Okay, so, so Rolls has four large diaphragm microphones and one cardioid ribbon mic in his mix. Oh, you know what I liked? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna scratch one of the pairs and just say the one four fourteen. Okay. And so, um, wow, going with it without a pair, this is incredible. How right. you gonna do the Glenn Johns technique? I'm not. Okay. You're not going to do that one. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Cause you don't, you don't. Yeah. No. Oh, I, I really like the, the AKG 451, I think. Oh, that's a good choice. So that's a small, small diaphragm. Now that condenser. you're saying, you know, not all large diaphragm, although the M160 is a ribbon mic, it's not a large diaphragm. It's pretty small. No, it's small, but it's a yeah cardioid ribbon. It's it's unlike other ribbons in the fact that it is not an omni. I mean, I'm sorry, a figure eight patterned ribbon. It is. Correct. It's it's a cardioid pattern. Um, okay, so first of all, you and I have similar experience on microphones in terms of stuff we used. I haven't. I don't have a lot of experience on like really expensive Telefunkens and you know old Neumanns and. Gefels and stuff like that. No. You know, I mean, we've used, we used some pretty high end tube Neumanns when we did some recording at Kennesaw state. Yep. Um, I think we did use some, were they Shopes? Is that the name we of the did. brand? We yeah, used we some did. of those as a really expensive mics. Um, and, and we used them on strings, which I would, I would do again. Yeah. I think we, I think there was, I think the Decatree up there were some earthworks or something like that. You know, I can't, they I can't remember. Too. But, <laughs> At work, we have the um, really interesting. We have uh, M one fifty Neumanns. They're uh-huh. tube. Yeah, in our decatry. Oh, crazy. really? That's interesting. 
Mm -hmm. big large diaphragms those are usually like pencil condensers or whatever yeah um i could i could be wrong about that it may be the ships so we're gonna have some similar answers because we have similar experience but i am gonna put in mine instead of i'm gonna use that road ntk as my catch-all large diaphragm tube microphone which i absolutely love that's a good point. I put the U87, which is not a tube. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, that U87 is amazing. I mean, it does great on guitars. It does great on vocals. I never really liked that microphone on the drum kit, though. Yeah, we I, tried. I, it just didn't, you know, I think if you have two of them and you're doing that Glenn Johns thing, it works. But I think didn't, even in that we scenario... Have a, didn't we get our hands on another one at Goldman's? Yeah, when we when we, when we were at glow in the dark we he had a u87 and then we had a u87 and so we were able to get a pair i mean obviously they weren't matched but they were right you know kind Somewhere. of all all u80 all u87 sound a little different i mean none of them are exact you know yeah this will be interesting so when we un unearth the mic locker in uh, thompson's office he has four u87s wow and Incredible. so and and not just the um ai's because that's what I have as a U87 AI. Right, which which the people on the forums would say is not a real U87 either. Yeah. You know, so it's it's one of those things. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I will say this, though. I have the warm version, the warm WA87, which is like their clone. Yeah, what do you think? It does not sound like the U87. It, it has a similar EQ curve, you know, so okay. you get that, what I would call kind of a boxy, mid-rangey kind of thing. Mm-hmm. but it does not sound like that U87. Okay. Not even, I, I don't think it's even close. I, I wouldn't consider it comparable in terms of my workflow. What I, I would. I've read the same thing. I like the microphone, but I would not use it in the same way that I used the U87. Exactly. I actually, I like it as a, a, a kind of a roomy style, large diaphragm for like harmonica sounds killer. I use it for room vocals. Like when I'm doing gang vocals, I like the way that it sounds in yeah. those. Um, and sometimes I will use it for like backing vocals um, okay. because it, it, it gets that, you know, colored mid rangey kind of thing, which doesn't sound anything like what my lead vocals sound like, which I usually do through either the Chandler or the road. And and you probably don't want your background vocal to have all that sparkly top end because it wouldn't right. blend as well with right. the lead the same, vocal, right? The same character, yeah. yeah. Um, let me get back to my list. So I'm I'm oh, I'm yeah. doing yeah, the sorry. the road. So where are you at? The road NTK tube mic. Yeah, got it. I'm gonna put another tube mic in there, which is a small diaphragm, which is the um, AM40, which was made by the company Groove Tubes, huh. which you know, know made tubes forever. It's yep. yep. It is my favorite microphone in my collection. I finally got my hands on a second one, so I have two of them. They're hard to find. Um, they're not super expensive, but they're really difficult to find now. And the, I use those with Ben over at 800 East. He mm. always had one. And he like he would put it on like hi-hat and stuff like that. Well, I experiment a lot here. <laughs> and I started putting it on my snare drum, and like now I can't take it off the snare drum. Oh. It It just sounds it makes the drum sound dimensional and like it has room and it, and it has like space as opposed to being this really close tight thing. So you mean um, like better than a 57? Much better. Um, I, I tell you what, but I'll get back to my list, but on a <laughs> snare drum, 
I like a Beta 57 better than a 57. Right. I've got a Telefunken M80 that I like better than a 57. That's what we were playing with the other day. Obviously, I like this AM42 mic better than a 57. I have this old-ass Austrian-made AKG D140 that's like rusty, huh. got rust on the outside of the, the body that I, I like that better. Seasoning. I like that's better seasoning. than the 57. So <laughs> I think 57s are great in a live um live environment i mean i just throw them on everything and that's killer um with live sound but i feel like in the studio when i'm really looking for a color palette it just it doesn't speak to me you know i've tried yeah. it i've kind of tried it everywhere and you know they're great on guitar cabs that's that's a place i would put it but i actually like the sennheiser 421 better on a guitar cab hmm. um, that's what i usually use on a guitar cab um or Unpopular. an amp or whatever mm my unpopular opinion is that I hate uh, that MD 421 on Tom's hate it. I agree. I haven't been able to make it work. It just doesn't really. I see everybody do it though. I put the M160 ribbon mics on Tom's and then I get shit for it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, those mics can take uh, high SPL. Can't they? They can and they do. And they actually, I mean, they're ribbon mics. All, yeah, I mean, but pe usually people used to be afraid to to um because they would get damaged with the right. the kind of plosive the the air moving and so that's right. Those mics are a little different in that regard. Um, I, I love them on toms. So that's kind of my go to with them. But um, so so I've got two tube mics. I've got the large diaphragm NTK Rode. Mm -hmm. I've got the uh, tube AM40 Groove Tubes. Yep. And here's where it gets weird for me because those two mics cover every single application that I really like, except like I could even get a kick drum out of my, out of the NTK. I could put that on a kick drum and make sure. that work. I could use it as an overhead, but I couldn't do both. Right. So, so no. what, co what covers a kick drum in, in a realm of everything that I have? So that means I need a pair of something. I would say I'd probably go with the the 414s that I have, which were the the older UBLS 414s. Yours right. have one more pattern on them, I think, than mine do. Okay. But mine are the old school analog. They don't they don't have like a digital phantom powered. There's button. an actual physical switch. Yeah. For pulling. Which yeah. is good and bad. It's bad because those switches break, and then you can't turn mm. the, you know. They get broken I was going to say scratchy, but yeah, broke. Yeah. Um, I think, I guess I would go with a pair of four fourteens. All right. So you only got one slot left. And that leaves me one slot for something. What would I go with? I think I'm going to have to go with a kick drum mic. Uh -huh. And in the kick drum mic world, I've used a lot of different microphones. I've used the RE 20. I've used the SM seven. I've used four fourteen. 414 used lots of different large diaphragms um used what all have we i've used so many different things the m what is that m12 d112 d12 m88 which is that biodynamic mic which is oh yeah good. yeah yeah but i think you said I'm gonna, dan dixon turned you on to that one right he did he turned me on to a couple different biodynamics that i really like um but i think i would go with the d6 by Audix. 
Oh yeah, you were talking. He had been talking about that lately. Yeah, it has a great balance of. You can put it on the inside; it gets nice top end. You can put it on the outside; it gets nice body. It kind of has a nice balance of top and bottom without a bunch of mids. It kind of has a scoop to it. Dynamic, uh, dynamic, right? It's a dynamic microphone. The problem yeah. with with putting that mic in the list is that it doesn't do anything else really. You can what probably about, get a bass cab with it, or you. That's could what do, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but but the 414s cover an array. It gives me a stereo image of anything I want to record. And then I've got two really versatile tube microphones that I think cover everything else. So that's probably how I'd go with it. So no RE20 in the list. No. I mean, I like the RE20. I probably like the RE20 better for this kind of like broadcast style than I like the SM7. Yeah, um, I, I would definitely agree. I think I would probably take that, you know, probably be a good. But it's, again, it's not a microphone right now that I'm like, I need to buy that just to replace the SM7 for. Somebody was giving us crap on Origin about Eric using that as the his lead mic. I'm pretty sure Tom York's used it as a lead mic on some sessions. Oh, absolutely. Like that, you you know? know, those in the basement sessions, he used an yeah. RE20. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, different people have different voices and, you know. Eric has a very unique voice, I think. <laughs> so does Tom York. So does Tom York. But, you know, I've always always used an SM50 or a, a 57, uh, what is it, a beta, beta 57. 57. I've always used a beta 57 for Eric, and that seems to be much better than either a 58 or a basic yeah. 57, just in a live scenario. But, um, you know, I think it's sometimes it's fun to just to talk about microphones, even though, you know, it's it's like... To me, even the microphones we both put in our list, I'd say aside from the Neumann that you have in yours, most of these microphones are somewhat affordable. The 414s are pretty expensive. They're close to a grand a piece usually. Yeah, and you if you're going to buy more than one, you probably just go ahead and buy the pair. They come as a kit. Yeah, you can get a stereo pair. Yeah. Yeah, but... You know, the U87... I could probably replace with something else. You know, I, I want a little bit more experience on this uh, NTK. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still on the market to try to find a, a replacement or, a, you know, a comparable to a, a 67, a U67, a U47, mm -hmm. really. Yeah, I had been thinking about maybe at some point trying to get the warm version of that, but knowing yeah. how the 87 stacks up, I'm like, I don't know yeah. if it's going to do the job. You know, I honestly, I don't know that it's going to sound better than this Rode mic. I think that's probably my, not. my main hesitation is knowing how good this Rode sounds. Like, I don't think I really need to reach beyond that. I mean, I already have this Chandler TG mic, which is a super expensive microphone that... Why is that? Why is that not on the list? You know, I probably should put that in place of the D6 because it can cover kick drum pretty well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's a very versatile mic, but I just know that from day to day, I find myself going to the mics I just talked about. Right. You know, I cover most of my bases with the actually because one of my 414s is having some some issue um mine too <laughs> oh really yeah um i am i'm using a pair of lewitt audio 540 s's 
in the place of my 414s for the back of the piano, for room mics, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, they really sound good, man. Lewitt makes, Lewitt Audio makes really good microphones. Um, they're not yeah, the I think same we about that. as we the 414s, about them. but they're, yeah. they're similar. Um, they have a, these, the ones that I have are these super low noise ratio microphones. They're very, very quiet. Um, so they actually pair well with colored preamps that tend to have a little more noise in them. So this is the next microphone I think we need to buy. Um, who's buying that for me? <laughs> uh, is Santa George? Claus real? George. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, no, I've, I've heard good things about the M two fifty one, but I don't know, $10,000 on a microphone. God, Lee. Yeah. That's, that's outside of my, that's outside of my scope. Definitely. Have you seen that? I'm sure you have, and we may have even talked about it before, but that meme where they, they've got like a, you know, $10,000 microphone, a hundred thousand dollar console, you know, $20,000 interface, all the way down to like a two dollar earbud. Buds is yeah. what people are going to listen on. Yeah, it's it's, it's a, a damn shame. It's a different it's a different world that we're in. You know, it's actually that that kind of thing might be a topic for another show. But just the influence that making recordings for streaming platforms for earbuds, basically having your masters be mastered specifically to fit those listening environments um yeah you know that's interesting because something that i've i've been trying to do more is i've been i've been uh, i actually use a there's this killer plug-in that i'm sure everybody knows about but if they don't it's called r bass renaissance mm. bass it's um okay it's a waves plug-in that is for bass guitar effectively you can use it for kick drum and stuff too you can use it for anything but it's it's mainly for bass guitar and they have presets in there and one of them is called small speaker setup Okay. Um, so a lot of times what I'll do is, uh, I'll make a, I'll make a, a duplicate version of my bass track. Right. That is specifically designed to be the frequencies that I want to hear in small speakers, shitty speakers, boombox speakers, ear pods. Cool. And I'll use that preset and I'll tweak it. I don't, I usually don't use anything out of the box as is. I usually kind of tweak it to taste, but like, um, there's not a lot of knobs in this plugin, so it's 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 like a a an amount that you're using, which is in a decibel level, mm -hmm. and then there's like a an, an in out like gain, but um, and then a knob that is the frequency effectively. So you could do this without a preset. You just dial up the frequencies that you're trying to hone in on, mm -hmm. that it's boosting, kind of in a parallel scenario is kind of what it's doing. So, um, but anyway, all of that I do every bit of that just to try to get the bass to show up in these small speaker, tiny speaker scenarios that don't have good, absolutely you know, bass frequencies. But, you know, I wouldn't be doing That's that smart. if, if, if I wasn't worried about these different listening environments. So whether, whether you like it or not, even if you're like a purist, the environments that people are listening to music are as important as the environment you're making the music in. It, it's interesting because, you know, we've always had a, we've always had sort of an issue because it's always the listening environment is always the speakers plus the room. And so the good news is that with headphones and earbuds, it takes the room out of the equation pretty much. 
-hmm. The bad news is the frequency response is not as good. So, you know, I think it's a really important point that you have to, you know, mix to that. Um, and, you, you know, we talked about, you know, Neil Young used to take speakers out of trucks and put it up on the console so that, you know, we knew what it sounded like in the car because that's where people are listening to the radio and yada, yada. And yeah. I know, you know, most engineers I know go out and have the Jeep test. They go out in the car and make sure that it sounds good in the car. I'm still doing it. Which is is weird. Um, nowadays, the car will have uh, DSP plugins mm. inside the, you know, and that not just for the radio, but for every audio source. And yeah. so it's it's really, it's really weird. Do you, how do you mix to that? Because you know that it's going to overhype certain frequency bands or do this weird spatializer thing. My car does this spatialization, like quasi surround sound thing, you know, and it just, it really wrecks my mixes. Yeah, that's awful. I mean, but you know, every car has their own thing. So like, how do you, right. yeah. I, so I, mean, I just for, turn all that shit off and then EQ, yeah. you know, flatten the EQ and like, does it sound good like that? That's and then right. That's how, that's that's how right. I'll rock it. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I've let people <laughs> listen to mixes in my car before. And they're like, wow, it sounds so much better in my car. And I'm like, yeah, because you've got all your EQs jacked to shit, like tons of bass, tons of treble. Right, you know. the smiley bass curve. You get in my car and my car is identically flat. Everything is 100% flat, except I take the front to back because you have front speakers and yeah. back speakers. And I roll my speakers so that they go back one click. I roll it back so that I have more focus Towards, on the back speakers yeah. than the front speakers, which balances, in my opinion, in my car. The tweet and the boom exactly and how yeah. it should how it should sound right um but yeah everything <laughs> that so i work funny. on i do flat <laughs> and you know so it kind of goes against what i just said about working for certain environments but it actually it doesn't because if you can make something sound really good flat then all uh -huh. the hype things like you're talking about dsp should make it better right it, well it's gonna it's it's like salting to taste at that point oh yeah yeah sure you know if sure. somebody wants to crank their bass to 10 in their car then that's on them that has nothing to do with my mix i can't uh, fix that but if flat i've got a nice balance of everything well, that's really what i'm looking for but if it's flat like that and they crank the bass up the whole thing probably won't fall apart because because all of your frequencies are sort of in line i would think Right. Yeah. As long as your, your mix is working in a flat scenario, then, then it should be that all those adjustments are effectively adjusting from a good space. I mean, you can't leave it up to the consumer to make their mix good. They're going to mess it up no matter what. So <laughs> as long as it's out of the box, it's, it's, you know, it's functioning just, then. You know, man, I just want to make sure that when you're making these records and we're listening to them down here in the ATL, that you're going to rattle some damn license plates. You know? Yeah, probably not so much on my mixes. I'm I'm pretty uh I'm pretty subdued on my low end. I try to keep things nice and clean so that, you know, uh, in my opinion, important things are able to sit above that. Things don't get muddy, and I actually like old records that don't have such an abundance of you know um, scope of tone. You know, down to twenty and that. I, I shelve things up to 40, 50 Hertz in a lot Same. of my tracks. Same here. You yeah. know, and, and beyond depending on where they live in the, the frequency spectrum. So I think in general, and even sometimes I'll go in on my final mixes 
and I'll, I'll clean up a lot of that low end. I'll take the like fab filter EQ where you can look at your, what's happening pre EQ. You can actually see it on a grid and you can, and you can look at where you've got problem scenarios. And especially in the low end, I usually don't mess too much with the mids or the top end. I usually only mess with the sub frequencies Mm -hmm. and muddiness between where the kick and the, the kick and the bass are living because that tends to be kind of a, a problem spot for me. You probably know this, but I, I saw this trick with Fab Filter that um, when you, I think you hold down either option or command and click the frequency, it solos that frequency band. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I don't know that trick. I it's didn't a, know that. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so helpful. <laughs> so, you, so you'll just be monitoring that specific fre- that frequency, frequency band. band. Yeah. I don't know how helpful that will be for me, but like, you know, because I think for me, EQing, I don't do very much EQing out of context, you know, mm-hmm. like I need to hear. I mean, that's what they say. Yeah. Like, you, but sometimes you, you need to hone in on like, at least for me. So it's, it's uh, tantamount to the same thing where people take a frequency and jack it way the hell up and mm-hmm. sweep it. But everything's going to sound terrible if you jack it up 12 dB. So I don't know how helpful that sweep and find is. You know, I find that technique very helpful actually. Um, and, and what it does is if you can, even though all the frequencies will sound bad, they'll sound yeah. harsh. You will be able to find the exact frequency that is that is really popping out because it goes beyond just being harsh. It like hurts. Yeah, I'm not saying I don't use that technique. I just yeah, you might have you probably taught me that technique. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I think it's uh, pretty much everybody does it. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I find that technique really helpful, but I, I'll say that I, I do very, very little additive EQ. Um, very same, little. Same. I'm primarily subtractive. Yeah, I find that subtractive EQ is how I approach things. The only time that I'll do an additive is when I'm looking for either an effect, something that's lo-fi, or mm-hmm. creating that kind of very notched out personality. Sure. Um, and then I think that there's also a lot of additive EQ in plugins in general. Like if you take something that does adds air to the mix or you use like, like I use, I have this, this suite of EQs that I love from Abbey Road. They're, they're soft tube plugins. They're mm-hmm. all, they are EQs that came off the console and okay. you, you can do boosts or cuts at two to seven K three to five K and the end of it, you can only do one or the other or uh, like a 10k. Um, So when you use those, obviously that's additive stuff. So if I'm trying to get some presence, some life, some excitement out of, usually for me, it's top end. But I I won't put a graphic EQ on there and boost up all the top. I usually get my top additive stuff out of some kind of colorful plugin, like a, you know, an emulated console or a tape machine or something like that is that like saturation emulation is where I get that top excitement. I mean, I think that's sort of an interesting concept too. Um, you know, I use the Pultec EQs, which have the same kind of thing. The only difference is you can boost and cut at the same time. So it creates a, a yeah. kind of uh, more complex uh, curve. But um, I think those circuits were originally design- designed to be musical. Whereas if you're just using a straight parametric EQ, you know, you can cut and boost wherever, you know. Right. And so I, I don't know if it's necessarily as musical per se. You know, I'll say this. If, if there's surgical. somebody out there that wants to come <laughs> in and, and give me a, 
uh, straight up tutorial on Poltec EQs. I'd love to, I'd love to experience it because yeah, they confuse the shit out of me. Like maybe confuse is not the right word. When I turn those knobs, I never get pleased by the results. Hmm. And when I turn those knobs, I can never find the same result as I found the last time I turned those knobs. So I don't go to those. I, I kind of don't love the Pultec style EQs hmm. for that reason. I think most people love the old Pultecs because they had a sound and then they would, so, totally. they would get that sound on their mix and it would be perfect. I've never heard that sound on anything that I've worked on. I mean, maybe I hear it on old records that I love, but I haven't heard it on anything I've worked on by playing around with it. So I'd, I'd love for somebody to teach me how to use a Pultec. I'd love it because I'm, I'm done when it, it comes to that. My, I guess my example, like, uh, there's several EQs, you know, like the, the, uh, <clears throat> the 1073 and the 1081, they have, uh, EQs that have s selected frequency bands, I believe. And, uh, right. so, I mean, not, I wasn't specifically, uh, you know, whatever with the pull text, uh, yeah, I yeah. do, I have been able to use them and, and make them sound good to me yeah. for certain things, but yeah, it's, I mean, EQs are, I mean, I think that's, there's a, a wide array of EQs out there. And like, what, what flavor of salt do you like? Because, you know, they're like literally 50 different, you know, types of salt or pepper or whatever, See, I, you know, I think that EQs themselves are not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't equate them to like salting food. I would equate them to like a knife that you're cutting food with, hmm. you know, like, like, how are you trying to cut your vegetables up? I'm not going to use meat here because I don't cut meat. So, <laughs> but you know, like, is it a, is it a serrated knife? Is it a really sharp knife? Is it more of a chopping style? Is it a slice? Is it a saw? And for me, I find that I really only go to parametric EQ where I can dial in those very detailed EQ because even in those, when I just want to cut, if I want to high pass or low pass, done. I can do it there. I mean, this may be a revelation. I hope it's a revelation to somebody that listens to this out of the 10 people that are listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I hope that, you know, I only use the stock Pro Tools graphic EQ. That's the only EQ that I use. I don't use any other EQ. Um, graphic on, EQ or plug or a parametric EQ? Plug it. Well, I'm sorry. I said parametric earlier. What I meant was graphic EQ. Okay. Um, graphic EQ is all I use. I use the stock Pro Tools graphic the, EQ. Seven the EQ3? band. Uh, EQ7? It's the same thing. Like fil Fab Filter effectively makes that. So I do it's a use. It, that's a parametric. It is a parametric. Okay. Yeah. So I do, I do use the Fab Filter, which is effectively the same EQ. Yeah. It's just a little prettier and it has kind of more options. Like you're saying, you can yeah. solo out frequencies. You can see uh, pre and post plugin information. But um, I really only use that stock Pro Tools 7 band EQ on basically anything I do in the box. Now, outside of the box, I have some, you know, EQ options in terms of outboard gear um, right. that I use for various things in various ways. But internally, when it comes to mixing tracks, that seven-band stock EQ, all I'll ever need. Yeah. I don't need anything else. Um, granted, I mean, having does, said that, you get EQ out job. of every single thing that you add. If you add color of any kind, you are EQing. Yes. 
right? Any, yes. any, any way you affect something, you are EQ. If you put a compressor on something, you better believe it's EQing it. Absolutely. Everything has a frequency response for sure. Right. So, I mean, arguably where you stick that microphone is a form of EQ. Yes. Every decision that you make from the instrument that you choose, the player, yeah, that's, good point. Uh, the player that is playing that instrument, the microphone choice, where the microphone's placed, how the room, how you're set up in the room. You could mm -hmm. actually think of every single decision that you make to the preamp, to every stage, you're EQing a source, right? Yeah. If you think of the source as a, P, a block of clay, it's a, a perfect rec, like rectangular cubic you know, block of clay, then the player is molding that clay a little bit and the instrument, probably a lot. I would say the player is molding it a lot. The instrument is molding it a lot, right? So you might mm -hmm. take your block of clay and turn it into like, oh, that's like a, that's a relative image now. We've, we've started to do a sculpture of a little, you know, creature or bear or something. <laughs> I don't know why I'm using this metaphor, but we're going to keep I'm running going with it. I'm going with it. <laughs> yeah, so your player and your instrument are probably going to have the greatest impact on the EQ of the whole shape of this thing. Then you get into capturing the EQ that's being created. Well, the room, I guess, is then next in the line, right? You get your player, your instrument, the room. Mm -hmm. Those are all very fundamental EQ shaping elements. Then you get to your microphone, even your cabling Cable. probably to a degree, right? It does because it has Every, capa capacitance, yeah. which affects your frequency, especially long runs. So every everything that you touch from your cable to your snake to your mic panel to everywhere you touch to your patch bay, all mm -hmm. of those things, right? Mm -hmm. So everything's affecting it. Then you you get it into whatever preamp that you're going to use, whether that be an outboard piece of gear or uh, onboard interface preamp or something, a virtual DAW preamp or whatever, mm. that's affecting it again. So you're really EQing your source material and you're sculpting this clay every single stage along the way before you ever even put an EQ on something. True. So technically, if you really know what you're doing, you could you could perfectly EQ your source without ever EQing anything. I mean, that's I think that's the holy grail, right? I mean, I I, I feel like that is, at least the the journey that you and I have been on the the past you know whatever years um, is trying to figure out that perfect combination of player, instrument, mic, pre so that you don't have to EQ anything because when you do add EQ, you add uh, phase distortion. And so uh, there's a slight timing difference that happens at certain frequencies, which can, you know, cause more harm than good. And so unless you're d needing to do something fairly surgical, I try not to EQ. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I think mean, except for, let, let me back that up. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the high passes, right. That's what I, I was going to say. High pass just about every damn thing. Yeah. I find that, that high passing is a way to keep as little of the non interpretable information out of the picture as possible. You mm -hmm. know, like when you get into mixing something with a ton of information, you would like your information to be relevant to the conversation. 
And so by, you know, basically high passing things, high passing, you're effectively allowing the high frequencies to go through and you're shelving the low frequencies. Exactly. And you can choose where within the spectrum you want to do that. Um, and something, for instance, like with a vocal, um, you might want to high pass all the way up to something like, I would say you'd probably be safe going up to 50 Hertz, depending on the singer. You know, if it's a very full bodied singer, you might want to roll that back down. I to, can go higher than that. You on, can. On a lot of stuff. But for me, I start to notice a difference in say my own voice. I will notice that difference when I get up above 50 Hertz. I start to notice something thin about that low end. I'm also dealing uh, you know, I'm in a very different scenario where I'm dealing with uh, a lot of stage bleed and a lot of uh, right. like rumble and shit that just, yeah. you know, but one point I was going to make is, um, you know, just because you can't hear the frequencies doesn't mean it's not there. So that's why I high pass everything because the converter will record stuff, you know, below 20 Hertz. Right. The, the A to D's are good enough. And so if you've got a fundamental down at 10 Hertz or whatever, then it's going to affect, you know, every octave above that. So 10, 20, 40, 80, 160, 320, it's going to go. Right. All, so effectively like the harmonics of that. That's note. exactly right. Yeah. Um, and, and to your point, just to elaborate on that a little bit more, cause I think this is important is the reason you want to, to high pass those frequencies when you say it's something like, 10k it's like oh well the humans can't even hear 10k yeah well your speaker will respond to 10k so what happens mm -hmm. is you'll get wind noise your speaker will get hit it'll move even if you can't audibly hear the sound that's being made from that frequency mm -hmm. your speaker will respond to that sound to that sure. frequency so by by cutting that and I, and there's where you want to make your curve you, you can make it a flat wall you know yeah. like you know you might want to cut that 20 and below maybe 30 and below in most cases, hard cut it. I mean, cut it, at, cut it 24 dB, I you know, 48. Yeah. Just 48 cut dB it per so octave. It yeah. Just gets rid of those super low frequencies because they're not going to show up. All they're going to do is they're going to, they're basically going to mud, mud and damage higher harmonics. And, and they mud by making your speakers respond to something that is not right. being listened to. No, exactly. Good point. Um, so I think that's like really uh, like a kind of a fundamental thing is why you want to get rid of those low frequencies that are may not even be audible to you. Right. Um, and actually, probably something I could look at in some of my mixes go, oh, I didn't even, I didn't EQ that thing at all. I should have probably just put a high pass on there and hit it at 30, 30 hertz or something. You know? Right, and if you're just using the stock Pro Tools plugin, it's not going to take up that much resource for the you CPU. Can, in whatever. that case, I just use the one band. You know, you just use the oh, one yeah. band, right, and you right. just just do the 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 high pass filter on it. Um, sure, there's like an EQ one, an EQ three, and an EQ seven. Is that right? Yeah, one three seven. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So just while we're here, I mean, we're talking about this. You know, as far as EQs go, Pro Tools comes with these, and and I would guarantee Logic has something similar. Um, you know, most DAWs are going to have something in the stock EQ, but for Pro Tools, it's the one band, a three band, and a seven band graphic EQ, right? Or right. Parametric and, uh, EQ. Parametric. Yeah. Graphic, graphic would be like the old school, like the fader, right? Like the fader thing that you'd have in your, your the old school racks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the parametric is when more like the actual. Ringing out monitors and stuff. Right. The it, fader. Yeah. Yeah. 
this is similar to that, except you have a lot more control because there's no limit to the, the band. There's no limit to what frequency you can pinpoint, right? Where with the graphic, there were specific frequencies on every single fader. Yeah. They call it a, a third optic, a third octave EQ. Yeah. So, so there's also another couple of EQs that I will use that are more compression related, which are um, the C4 and the C6, which are <laughs> Waves plugins that do, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, not optical compression, but um, what is the compressor called? Um, there's a FET compression, optical, yeah. a VCA, there's... It's, it's the compression that is... It, it's the it's basically compress compressing certain EQ frequencies. Um, uh, multiband compressor. Multiband compressor. Thank you. Yeah. So, in the department of EQ, there is also a multiband compressor, which is an EQ element. Even though it is a compressor, it's it's basically compressing certain EQ frequencies. And I'll use that. There's the C4, and there's the C6 by Waves, and these are two that I'll use. I found that these work really well on vocals. Okay. Um, and, and with those specific plugins, the C4 and the C6, you can go between two modes. You can go between an opto mode, mm -hmm. which, you know, there's a optical compressor basically. Yeah. So it will function as an optical compressor where you don't have, you know, these like ratio issues. And then mm -hmm. you can have it function as a, an electro compressor. Um, and those are kind of the two modes that you can play around with between uh, with these multibands. And I found them to be sometimes extremely helpful to glue or tame a mix. Say you take all your music and you're feeding that into a bus mm -hmm. or, or all of your vocals, one or the other. A lot of times when I get to that mix stage, I'll play around with the C4. And now I've got a C6, which is a newer plugin that I didn't have access to before. It just has more bands. Okay. Um, you can do six different points where you compress something. Um, but I'll sense. play around with that on my mix bus, my vocal mix bus, my music mix bus, or I'll play around with it. I found that I, on vocal specifically, it, it can really do some work. Sometimes it can do a lot of damage too. <laughs> yeah. This is a, this is a type of effect where you can really ruin something. If you're not, if you're not understanding what you're hearing and you don't know what's going on, um, so I've found that sometimes I'll play around with it and then I'm like, yeah, this is kind of taking away something about the mix and I don't understand why. So I'm going to get rid of that and just not yeah. even, sometimes it glues stuff up in a way that's undefinable that I couldn't get in any other, in any other way. And that's very EQ centric because it's compressing certain frequencies. Right. Um, it'll effectively make certain vocal parts either stick down in the mix where they feel nice and in the mix, like you want them to it's still audible, but in the mix, sometimes they'll bring them out in a way that feels way more clear than, than they were before. So um, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. They're very interesting. I would say EQs slash compressors to play around with. Um, but that's really all the EQs that I, I tend to use in the box. And then, like I said, all of the kind of fun, harmonic excitement or saturated kind of toys that you'll play with tape emulators. Those things are all adding EQ. Those are effectively additive EQ. Like, sure. Um, that's really where I get a lot of the pristine kind of additive quality stuff, which I do use a lot of saturation 
Um, I use saturation plugins and then I also use saturation through outboard gear, right? Printing things, sending stuff through gear and that kind of thing. So there's different ways to do that. And a lot of times you do both. Right. Exactly. You know? I mean, that's part of the reason why you'd send something to a tape machine is to get sort of that imprint on it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what I find is that you can do a lot of work in the digital realm yeah. and you can take that, that work, send that through some analog gear. And what that will do is if you zoom in on your waveform, you'll see that it smooths out all of that digital harsh peaks that are made um, in the digital world. I mean, there's just so yeah. much fidelity, so much clarity to the actual um, information that when you run that through some, some gear with some transformers or something like it, 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 it makes it sound more or organic, more, more real, more yeah. gives it, it gives a more organic sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of ruining, so, so uh, I use the uh, ozone or isotope ozone uh, plug-in on my master bus to sort of do like a quasi mastering. I don't really master because it's not going to be printed or radio or anything. It's just for YouTube. And so a lot of it is about, just making sure the loudness is where it needs to be to, you know, when you go from a video to a video, it doesn't seem like it's so quiet. Um, but I mean, I could, I could definitely see, and I have like ruined mixes messing around with the multiband compressor because that, that ozone plugin has um, uh, an EQ, a multiband compressor, um, uh, kind of a max it has a maximizer it has a um, harmonic widener, exciter like an yeah. exciter there's a widener like mm -hmm. a spatial yeah. part of it and so you know i've played around with some of their presets i've never like you like i'm never happy with their their presets so you can get in there and it's just really deep it's yeah. really dense like what's the difference between irc1 and irc6 as it relates to the mastering yeah you know Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And so um, sometimes I'll just I'll just leave that off and I'll go for something really simple like the um, API twenty one twenty and strap that across the master bus and just barely hit it. Yeah. The yeah. um. So the you know I looked at the new ozone is updated so much since the version that I have. Yeah. It's, it doesn't look this, I mean, everything about it is like different. It looks, it looks like a freaking, you know, year 3000 computer spaceship, you know, like it's, it just, it doesn't look anything like the old one does. does. Um, but that, the old version, because I'm so familiar with that interface, I have played around with that version a ton. Sure. And, and I do like it on the, in my mastering process and, Unfortunately, it's just a little too expensive for me to buy the new one. Well, I but, was just telling you about like, yeah. you know, the music production bundle is $500 a seat for, for me to buy 50 seats. Yeah. Education. Yeah. Shit. It's, it's an expensive bundle, but um, I'll tell you what's I mean, really, I, really good in that plugin is the harmonic exciter and the yes. stereo uh, widening, those two things. Both of those can ruin your mix, but yes. <laughs> when you use them very subtly, you can get a lot of dimension out of, you know, the way that both of those plugins work is you can, you can manipulate the lows, the low mids, the mids and the highs. So you've right. basically got four, four bands. If you want to look at it like that, 
that you can manipulate. And with harmonic excitement, you can choose the type of excitement. So you can use like a tube excitement or a tape excitement. Right. Or there's many different yeah. Yeah, exactly. versions. You can do like, you know, diode or triode excitement, some, um, something that you'll, you, you hear more about with like guitar cabinets and guitar heads or tubes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or pedals or something. But there's a lot of different stuff you can, you can switch between there. And I've found those that I've, those have really, um, actually one of the records, uh, Shake Don't Shatter, I use that heavily in the mastering process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I found it to, to really help pull out a lot of, uh, top end and air and stuff that, that kind of gets the mix to kind of have a more balance of top end. I, I mean, I find in recording in general, that's really what I'm usually lacking. You know, I use all these like dark microphones and dark sounds. <laughs> I like fat snare drums and right. everything's like this dark. Well, where's the sparkle? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I think need that's, the fairy dust. That's uh that's what I tend to need to get out of some of the plugins and stuff sometimes. And I think Ozone definitely can do that. You just you got you have to be very, very cautious and subtle with how you work with those those big um software plugins, especially Ozone. Ozone is like you said, so deep that like you can get lost and just be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, exactly. And you just effectively <laughs> end up turning it off because you just you've just that, lost your way. <laughs> that's exactly what I was saying. Exactly. Now there is there is something that comes with uh, ozone, uh, or at least the the bundle that I got. Uh, it has this program called Insight, and yeah. so it's a metering program. You know, so you can look at phase correlation, you can look at um, L- LUFS uh, loudness and and things like that, or you know, a waterfall plot with your your mixes, and it's just a very interesting analytical thing. Sometimes that'll yeah. help you figure out something that's bugging you, uh, um, you know, that you're hearing, but you don't know exactly where, where to find it. Like the phase, the phase spectrograph, that part of isotope inside is really interesting. Awesome. Yeah. Because you can really see like, Oh, I've got some weird thing jumping way out here that shouldn't be, you know, you, you, and you can, and it also helps when you play around with wideners Mm -hmm. to to look at that because then you can kind of see, Oh, is something starting to act funky when I do that? Yeah, a lot of you're times, messing with the phase. Yeah, and a lot time. of times what you should do is if you're playing around with a widener, I mean, you should do this anyway, but is to go uh, set your mix, listen to stuff in mono. Oh, absolutely. Because what happens is when you listen to a stereo mix in mono is that if things are out of phase, they will disappear 100%. Yeah. You will not be able to hear them at all. And you're like, if- wow, that guitar part's not even there. Okay, well, if there's something out of phase. If they're 100% out of phase or 180 degrees out of phase, they will disappear. If they're not and there's just some timing, it, it'll like be comb filter. Thinner, comb filter, yeah, right? Yeah, so right. different degrees of what I'm saying. But even in the scenario where they're not totally out of phase, but they're very out of phase, yeah. they'll seemingly disappear. Like they might be no, very, no, exactly. very ghostly in the mix or something. So it's it's like an identifier to be like, oh, I have a phase problem and you can go find it. Um, so one of my techniques because i mostly do live stuff right is um you know trying to figure out the overheads versus the individual instruments and making sure that those are polarity matched but what i've found is you can get all of that stuff the polarity is correct um but then 
if you're using, we've been using space, a space pair for a long time. And I'm actually going, trying to go away from that method because I think they're the least phase coherent that you could possibly get. And so when you have your left and right uh, overheads pulled up, you know, and you're trying to pan them hard left and right, you know, it just, it, the phase will be all over the place. And so you can really look at that insight plugin and dial it back. So they're maybe not, you know, maybe they're not, um, what is that? 90 degrees. Maybe they're only like, you can only get 20 before the phase starts falling yeah. apart and yeah. you still get that stereo thing. But so, you know, I'm finding that if I put the capsules closer together, and you know, and try the XY. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit yeah. more phase coherent, you know, or just a mono overhead because I'm not really sure that I need something. If somebody's listening to YouTube, mostly it's going to be on their phone or earbuds. You know, do I really need to? You know, right. <laughs> well, I think you know, in the scenario you're talking on about, the that, drums that mono overhead might serve a lot of purpose. I think the great thing about a space pair is that you get this amazing stereo image of the drum kit. The shitty thing about a really spaced pair is that you get this amazing <laughs> stereo, you know, it's like so much stereo image. Right. So I think that like you get some great benefits to that in terms of the, the how spread it feels, but you also get all those bad qualities, which you're talking about, which is like this phasey thing. Yeah. Um, and so I've kind of done the same thing. I've, mostly been using the XY pattern and you can adjust an XY pattern. Like, yeah, if, if, you know, if you use my fingertips here as like the, um, the microphone, you can adjust them out to make the image wider or narrower. Sure. You know? Um, and so I've played around with that, you know, there's a true XY, which is like exactly what 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like on, on pencil, condensers i'll put them like where they you know, they tip they're, to tip they're tips, or even yeah. or even if the tips cross like that you know like right. that so as you, opposed to you can also do it the other way though you can flip flip it out like this where you're making yeah. a triangle like that yeah um, for sure so yeah you can play around with different variations of that to look at what you're talking about how, how much stereo spectrum there is and how much phasing issue you may have from that um, you're just going to have more, you're likely to have more phase when they're out like if, that. If they're spread apart, just because the time that this symbol over here takes to get to this microphone is going to be longer than this. So there'll be a little bit of. Right, right. When they're closer together, sound is reaching them both more consistently. Right. But, but, but it's less wide. But it's less wide. Right. So that's all a, a choice that you're kind of, you're making. Um, of of wideness versus you know phase issues that you might come up with yeah yeah well that, that's a that's pretty interesting uh little conversation <laughs> we got into there matt and and that's how to record a record that's all the answers <laughs> of everything about recording you could ever want hey thanks for listening we'd love to hear your feedback on what your favorite microphones and plugins are what techniques you use to record in the box out of the box those types of things hit us up on instagram audio astronauts magnetic recording and matt rolls atl thanks so much and we'll talk to you soon